And yeah, this is just a quick note to say that we did record this episode before local lockdowns, and I really hope that you enjoy it. love to see it. A lovely show about shows about love that we love. Doozy. I'm Joe Dukes. And I'm Megan Faraday. And we're here to get real about sex, love and, and relationships. Through the medium of reality TV. <laughs> so to all our gay listeners, I just want to wish a happy gay Christmas today. Happy Halloween, bitches. It's time. Spooky season is upon us. It's almost as if we planned it. That yeah. We would have a podcast release on Halloween. What are your feelings towards it? Towards Halloween itself? As a national public holiday. <laughs> is it a national public holiday? <laughs> I don't know if it's like recognised by the government. We should all have a day off to be spooky. Yeah, we should. Which we I guess should. we do this year, so. Yeah, we do. Is raise homo- raise your glasses, everyone. <laughs> is it homophobic for the government to not give us a day off on Halloween and to give us one on Christmas? Does I mean, I'm mean? sure there are a lot of Christmas gays out there, though. Oh, yeah, there's loads. Why do you think gay people are so drawn to Halloween? I think it's because of a few things. I think it's because of the opportunity to dress up, to don yourself in spooky couture, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get the word couture out of my head. Spooky couture. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. And I think it's just the opportunity to like, yeah, to dress up, to look spooky, to maybe bring out the like scariest sides of ourselves and to celebrate that with each other. And also just to be thoughty as well. Yeah, be a Halloween ho. A spooky thought. Yeah. Um, Now on the topic of fancy dress, Meg, I actually got in touch with my mum. (laughs) And I mean, to most podcast listeners, you'll only know that my mum is a hairdresser. (laughs) Um, She's also a hun. I sent my mum a message being like, I have a job for you. I was reminded of how Halloween birthed my obsession with fancy dress. Like, I would say that nowadays I don't go as hard as I used to, but I really used to lean in to a costume theme. I can believe that. And my youth was no exception. I repeated the same costume numerous Halloweens in a row. Did you really? Would you like to guess what I dressed as? Okay, so what what did you love as a child? I know that you love David Attenborough. (laughs) I did. (laughs) Did you dress up as David Attenborough? No, but I once went to school fancy dressed as Steve Irwin. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) Was there a crocodile involved in your costume at all? No, just lots of corn. Yeah, being like, Stroof, mate! Did you deliver those lines in your impersonation of the character? I probably did. I was a thespy queen when I was little. Bless you. No, I've got no idea what you dressed up as. So I actually went as a devil every (laughs) year. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just going to show you the pictures first. Okay. Here are the receipts. I can't wait for this. Okay, three, two, one, reveal. (laughs) What is that around your face? 
That's the collar of my spooky cape. Oh my god. So it's like up by your face like a like a vampire. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, so the amount of red in this is just quite overwhelming. Did you make the little um the fork thing that you're the holding? Trident. The trident. Did uh, you make it? No, I didn't. As you can see, it's still got the barcode and the label on there. Oh yes, the I do see that. Yeah, I can also see the little devil head in the middle of it, just to mm -hmm. remind us that, that that's who you're being. So just to paint the rest of the picture, everyone, I've got like little red devil horns on. I've got red <laughs> tights on, nothing else on my legs. And I've also got a quite a skin tight red shirt. This little t-shirt belonged, or maybe still belongs, to mm -hmm. my Auntie Rach. Really? Shout out to Aunt Rach. And this was like a kind of skin tight crop top. But obviously on me, it was just short on a pudgy kid. Um, <laughs> and across this, in little um, kind of fake diamante studs, mm -hmm. it said, Cheeky Devil. Shut up. <laughs> and I, every year I would have to ask my auntie. <laughs> If I could borrow this, so... Please, can I have your cheeky devil shirt, Auntie Rachel? <laughs> uh, and I just want to show you the consistency with which I turned this look. You're looking at year number one. So how old are you in this picture? Can I just ask? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Can I, I'm, I'm going to guess that you're like seven or eight. I, I would say maybe seven. You're such bubby. Little bubby <laughs> So cute and round. So yeah, that's year one. Yeah. That's year two. <laughs> You've dyed your hair. Oh my God. Did you, sp did you spray it. paint your hair? Yeah. Oh my goodness, is that your eyebrows as well? No, I think that those are horns face painted onto my forehead. Obviously, additional to the horns that are actually on my head. exactly the same thing. <laughs> and then number three. <laughs> and I love that with every picture, it's like a more theatrical presentation of the character. Like Blossoming. you're giving more energy. In our house, we were not allowed to use beauty products or anything that could alter our appearance. That was kind of the rule. We were never allowed hair products. Right. With the exception of Halloween fancy dress, which is why my hair is so wet look in these pictures. Really? Because I'd be like, yeah, fucking spike it up. Like, wow. In my Garnier, like, cactus hold. And then obviously we spray painted the hair red as well. So it was really monumentous um, as a queer experience. That's amazing. How did it feel? Did you feel like you were breaking the rules? It always felt so transgressive. Did it feel very deviant? Yeah. As a little queer baby. <laughs> <laughs> did your parents not realise that you were gay? <laughs> Do you know, the thing is, I didn't come out to my parents until I was 19. Yeah. I think with every single passing month of my life, I just think back to stuff I did when I was a kid and I was like, wow, she was a queen. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I mean, what, what a pioneer for spooky fashion. Spooky Thank couture, you. you could say. Spooky couture. Yeah. <laughs> I was never allowed to celebrate Halloween as a child. And instead, what I did every year was I went to my church's light party. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. So we used to have to go dressed in all our most multicolored clothes and like sing songs together and play nice games and probably ward off the devil. I mean, do you know that does sound quite fun? It was, but there was also this sense of like, I was missing out. You and didn't I get was... the sweeties. No, no. And there was this sense of like, everybody else is doing the wrong thing and we're doing the right thing. <laughs> oh, and yeah. so I kind of it was like forced fun i never went trick-or-treating or anything like that <gasps> Dios mio. i know i know this i know yeah yeah so so i never really had the spooky experience until i was an adult what about stuff like apple <clears throat> bobbing pumpkin carving no <gasps> no i mean one thing that might be in common though i don't really know when this festival is is chris dingle oh that I'm, used I, to pop off i loved a chris dingle literally like, the, the ritual of it the sweets that were involved mm -hmm. why was it an orange there was mystique and mystery around the whole yeah. thing. Sing like, Hosanna would always be on the hymn list. It popped off. It really did. Like <laughs> This Halloween will absolutely
absolutely be spooky. Because, Meg, I've prepared a spooky surprise. (gasps) (laughs) I can't wait. I love to be spooked. Well, you're going to be because I got a show for us to watch. Mm -hmm. Now, it's only related to one of the three of our criteria, which I believe to be sex. Okay. I'm excited about watching something that's only tangentially related to the brief that we set ourselves because Mm -hmm. I think it could just open up a whole new world of spooky possibilities for us. Let me present to you Scream Queens. Wait, what's this? I've heard of this before. So you might have heard of it because it is also the name of a show written by Ryan Murphy, Netflix's favourite person apparently. Yeah, another show by Ryan Murphy. Yeah, so I haven't explored the 2015 release because I just expect it's going to be like musical theatre dialogue and high contrast colour. That is basically the Ryan Murphy brief, isn't it? Isn't it? Instead, we're going seven years earlier to 2008. So oh, excellent. Exactly the same era that we were with a fortnight ago. Yes. <laughs> Based on the title, what do you think it's about? Um, It's going to be something to do with fashion. So Scream Queens, mm-hmm. it aired in 2008 on VH1, mm-hmm. I believe, and it features 10 budding actresses who are competing for a grand prize of starring in a horror film by a very large motion picture company. Oh my god. So they are literally competing to become a professional Scream Queen. Wow. Okay. And what I'm expecting is that like the show will really put them through their paces in almost like a RuPaul's Drag Race kind of way, I guess. Yeah, That's yeah. really our cultural point of reference for the this format of show. Yeah, it is. The unprecedented prize is a breakout role in Saw 6. Is it? Oh my <laughs> god! Have you ever seen any of the Saw films? Absolutely not. I would never. No, neither have I. When I think about Saw and gore, stuff like Paranormal Activity, Honey, I Will Not. I watched Paranormal Activity when I was 15 at a sleepover and Jesus. it like it scarred me for life. It was so scary. Pretend you do not see. Because I had to be so brave, you know. Mm. I could not be the most scared person in the room when I watched Paranormal Activity. Maybe I'm now at a point in my life where I can watch horror and sort of have a bit of a critical distance to like buffer me from the sheer unbridled terror of what I'm watching. Mm. I think that this might be the perfect show for you because it really will give you a behind the scenes glimpse into what it takes to become a scream queen. I'm so ready. Yeah. I'm so excited. Mate, I'm so relieved that you're excited because I was yeah. like, this is a bit of a tangential thing for our show, but I'm reassured. I am expecting there to be some kind of like sexy challenges in the first episode. I'm interested to see. Really? how like sex and gender are mobilized vis-a-vis the horror genre yeah so with the rain swirling and the wind blowing outside Ooh. what better viewing experience will we have we can dim the light the ambiance of it all <laughs> i'm excited screaming <laughs> absolutely screaming oh my god screaming <laughs> let's go bitch. let's go <laughs> i'm bitch <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you so much. Were you spooked? <laughs> <laughs> it's a spooky dooky rip roaring time for us. <laughs> I gotta say, I wasn't that spooked. It was very light hearted, wasn't it? It was. And yeah. so enjoyable. Yeah, I found myself laughing all the way through it. Mm. On our shared Google document, we have over 80 potential shows that we could watch. And so many of them were produced during the noughties mm-hmm. by MTV. MTV shows seem to bring a lot of like energy and pace with them, mm. just like Paris Hilton's new BFF. Whereas this one, I felt it was just more manageable for me. Yeah, yeah, the pace was definitely more manageable. Mm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel exhausted and overwhelmed by the end of it, which is how I felt at the end of Parasol's BFF. <laughs> Drained. 
No, this was chill. This was good. Brilliant. So what just happened? We met 10 contestants today coming onto the show with an aim to win a place in an upcoming Saw film. Saw 6, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I was surprised that they didn't know this until they actually got on the show. Yeah, I mean, they were shook. Yeah, I mean, they were literally screaming. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of screaming in this show, both just from the contestants being excited to be there and then obviously the challenges that ensued. Yeah. It was just one long, big scream fest. The volume of the show. The volume on this bus. <laughs> <laughs> We have the contestants on one side, and then we have kind of three judges that will work together. One of whom starred in Saw 1, 2, and 3. Her name was Shawnee, and then she was flanked by two men who are of the industry, we're told. I penned them as the boring men in black. (laughs) (laughs) Sunglasses wearing stupid official looking men. Yeah. They're called John and James, and one of them is a director, and one of them is an acting coach. So we have Shawnee, John and James, and they are the holy trinity of Scream Queens. (laughs) The ones who are gonna decide which of the contestants wins this coveted prize in Saw 6, which I think is a pretty great prize. Because a lot of them are actresses that have like been classically trained, and others are women who are just looking for a break, basically. One thing that I really enjoyed about the show was the way that they really stuck to theme. For example, in the house that all of this took part in, every single kind of scenic shot that joined parts of the show together made the house look like a haunted house, like a house in the woods, a house at the end of the road, you know, these like classic place-making devices (laughs) of the horror genre. And I was like, yes, this is really thorough. But they're also aware this is like a kind of Hollywood-themed thing as well. So every episode will crown a so-called leading lady. The rest of the people who aren't being eliminated will get what's called a callback, which means that they are like safe from elimination. And the ones that find out whether they're in the top or the bottom find out by virtue of the list that gets posted after their challenges as if they've like auditioned each week. And then last but not least, the one person who isn't going to come back next week gets axed. Gets the chop. May I say as well, like the amount of horror puns that we get all the way through. I hate puns. Make no mistake, it's a spooky show. They don't let us forget it. They say, oh, you've got an absolute nightmare of a challenge coming up. It's gonna be a hell of a week. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Fuck's sake, I hate puns. So we had two acting challenges to put Mm -hmm. them through their paces today. One of them involved an axe-wielding murderer who arrived by punching uh, punching his way through a wall in like the opening scene of this episode. Douche! So he comes in the room, (laughs) he's just standing there, wielding his chainsaw all over the place. And it's so beautiful because Shawnee's like, okay ladies, so now I'd like to introduce your scene partner. Bang! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the contestants fucking scatter. <laughs> and at one point she says, this is a chainsaw-wielding murderer. Don't date him. Yes. Or something like that. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> As one of them said, this is so unnecessary. <laughs> Yeah, the first challenge involves all of these contestants one by one taking it in turns to grovel on the floor in front of this murderous man mm-hmm. to persuade him to not kill them. And all of these contestants, they, they actually come from quite a diverse set of like backgrounds and backstories. And they also brought like some diverse energy to the mm. scene. Like some people played it sexy. Some people played it like a mum pleading for the lives of her children. Some mm-hmm. people were just like on the floor screaming and vibrating. <laughs> 
just, it's just shaking a bit. One of them played the scene in, I'm, I'm going to refer to the language used by the fellow contestants, in a sort of psychotic manner, which is interesting to watch. And that kind of like sets the tone because throughout this episode, it was quite interesting to see how filmic tropes of women were like used both for the contestants' benefit, oh, if you played that particular character very well, or to people's detriments, mm. in the case of Jessica being a quote-unquote psycho, both on and off screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was used by the other contestants really to drag her down. Mm. So. As well as somebody who was like playing very sexy, someone was like, I don't know if she's here to be in a horror film or an adult film. <laughs> Well, our favourite won the first challenge. Mm. Um, the one contestant who was like far and away the best actor in the room. Her name was Tanidra. And Tanidra, bless her, came on the show without having any sort of classical training or any background in acting at all. Honestly, a humble queen. She really was very humble. I think she was a bit self-conscious about the fact that she hadn't got any formal training. But she was only made to feel self-conscious when she was talking about it with the other contestants. Because I think she knows how good she is. Mm. But I mean, um, in a competition, that's kind of exactly where you want to be you want to be underestimated mm-hmm. don't you that was an interesting sort of dynamic in the group when they kind of went back to their house in between challenges and were talking about all the experience and all the training that they've had in this way that that was kind of used as like a currency to be like i'm a threat because i've studied this for a little while mm-hmm. and i was kind of just thinking yeah but tanidra is the one person who's been very open about her lack of opportunities because of like i guess socioeconomic background mm-hmm. and really when people were saying i'm very experienced and seasoned and trained they're really just being like I'm privileged enough to have had these opportunities in the past and you haven't they take it upon themselves to remind her really of of the fact that she shouldn't have very high expectations almost as if they're taking it upon themselves to bring her back down to earth despite the fact that within the first 20 minutes of the show she'd already secured herself a callback yeah yeah she was guaranteed like immunity basically like where is the beef She's the most talented woman in the room and we were rooting for her and she came through. Well, on the topic of talent, of course, the judges are looking out for talent, but they're also looking out for a few other things. Shawnee was saying that for her, horror is basically punk. Well, her definition of punk is very simple. It's just being able to, quote unquote, throw your balls to the wall. What do you make of that? What does that mean to you? Because it doesn't mean much to me just a vague sense of aggression I, I guess like balls to the ball is just like this very masculine notion of like getting stuck in like a come what may attitude like yeah. not giving a fuck which I I can see the connection to punk but like why has it got to be so gendered though yeah it's weird and then she also goes on to say that what she's looking for is somebody who is vivacious but can be vulnerable feminine but can be bold and the capacity to kick ass is important as is the capacity to transition from a helpless victim to a high Hard-ass heroine. Good alliteration, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, we love alliteration. As you'll know from the descriptions of the episodes, we'd love to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Carefully penned by you. So it's quite a lot of polarised traits that they're looking for at once. And let's not forget, you have to be sexy, but not too sexy. That was really the theme of episode one, which was kind of shown in between the two main challenges, because Mm. they had a lovely opportunity, by all accounts, a fucking masterclass from this absolute trash man with a soul patch. Can we just dwell a moment on the haircuts of these men? I want to start by talking about the absolute atrociousness of the hair situation on both of their heads. Mm-hmm. We've got spiked up hair all over his head, as if he's just got a handful of hair gel, slopped it between his hands and just gone bleh, all over his head. I mean, like... it's literally me at Halloween back in the day. Well, yeah. And he's got really weirdly crafted mutton chops, mm. like very pointed little triangles of hair. Nothing else, just triangles. I don't 
understand. I don't, like, recall that being in vogue at the time. Do you know no, what I mean? No, no, I don't really know what he's trying to do, what he's trying to say. The other guy's just a fucking twat. Like, he's got, <laughs> got a, a stupid little soul patch. And a... Sometimes the bed does that, but it's okay. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, is there a ghost in the room? Oh, my God. <laughs> Knock three times if you can hear us. <laughs> Yeah, soul patches are bad. And so is this entire man's personality. That's the, that's it. That's the yeah. tweet. It's <laughs> a <Some> tweet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really were reminded men in the film industry are basically pieces of shit. Um, As if we needed a reminder. Yeah, but they really are. And, and they, they really do believe that telling women what to do and putting women in their place and doing everything in their power to intimidate women actually is them doing their job yeah, properly. Yeah, is a mark of their professionalism. Yeah, yeah, is their lack of capacity to a accommodate their co-workers needs mm. in the room where they're doing a masterclass or anything like that it's like it's so weird and the way that we saw this play out is because in the masterclass uh, the women were presented with kind of like a smorgasbord of fruit mm. soul patch guy said in horror being sexy is as important as being terrified so what the task was is to seductively eat a piece of fruit but it's like the first major test that they're given to prove their acting capacity and they all get to watch each other also yeah yeah they're all in the same room with each other they take their fruit of choice and behave in a sexual manner towards it so one woman gave a blowjob to a banana and it fits the brief of what they've been told to do they're not Mm. really given detailed instructions it's just use this fruit to exhibit your sexual energy for me yeah we've got one man in the room being like be sexy here's some fruit have at you but they all did it wrong didn't they yeah he then went on to say i asked you guys to be sensual all i got was a bunch of girls having sex with fruit but mate that's what you ordered. Yeah. Can you be So what's be wrong with your food? <laughs> It's just difficult because like they're, they're just not given clear instructions of what to do at all. And it seems like this, the scene is not so much set up to be a test of their acting capacity. It's to test how resilient they are to humiliation. And he's also critiquing them on the lack of dignity they have in the scene as well. He like, really like, made a point of shaming them for their lack of dignity in response to a task that he gave them that was specifically designed to test whether they were like, able to give up their dignity. Yeah, yeah. Like, like what does he want from them? But it's okay because he's just a mean director and he's got these really complicated ideas that like people just don't ever understand yeah yeah and and it's their job to not make him do more work for them than they are doing for him Mm -hmm. you know that's something that he says like he he gets pissed off if he feels like he's not being repaid adequately for the effort that he's putting into the scene he does then go on and they try again and he gives them like some closer notes and sort of barks at them whilst they're eating the fruit because rather than just eating the fruit sexually he then says halfway through you need to realize that you've been poisoned Mm. and we have like some entertaining responses to this brief i just keep thinking about the woman who ate the grape didn't quite spit out the half-chewed grape but just sort of let it trail out of her let mouth it just flop out of her mouth this like bit of green goo while she was doing this she, she just sort of made this like blank unblinking eye contact with something in the middle distance as she just let this grape just yeah so that was challenge number two, but the fun didn't end there because then we had challenge number three. Oh, ah! spooky. <laughs> Which involved a bath and a snake, but not a real one. Oh my God, this was literally a toy snake and the other director, Mutton Chops guy, he was like, look at this snake. Look at it. I know it looks silly. He really was like, if you want to be a successful scream queen, it isn't about how shitty the prop is. It's about whether you can make the audience believe that you yourself are terrified. And I was like, true. 
Yeah. That, yeah, that's pretty, true. pretty sound advice. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the thrust of the show is basically being like, the horror genre requires you to be a convincing actor, of course. Why? Because you must produce belief in yes. the show. They're really being like, a scream queen is integral to the success of the horror genre. This challenge, obviously, by virtue of being in the bath, required nudity. Mm-hmm. Famously, you don't get in a bath with your clothes on. No, you don't. Because that's not scary. That's just silly. Each of the contestants had a choice of how they were going to do the scene. They could either go completely naked, they could use, what were they called? Modesty patches? Yeah. Or they could go wearing basically nude underwear, which was beige, but whatever. Nude. Nude. <laughs> a little bit of drama ensued because one of the contestants was, understandably, not quite so chilled out about the idea of forming naked because most of the women were pretty keen to get their kit off and do basically what was expected of them. It was quite clear they were expected to be naked. I was disappointed by the treatment that she received from her fellow contestants about this reaction that she had. And also I think from the editors, like the amount of airtime in the show that was just dedicated to Jessica being like a bit weirded out by this concept and maybe just feeling uncomfortable with it. They really like made this a centre point of the second half of the show. Mm. Why? Well, we know why because in the first exercise she decides to play the scene in a way that is, to quote her fellow contestants, psychotic. Mm. So it's very clear that this is how she's being positioned as a character on this show. And will be for the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. A a psychotic woman. But like she's very obviously not. She just doesn't want to be naked. (laughs) It's not that deep, That doesn't mean crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But ultimately she pushes through it and she does the job. Once they're in the bath, what's the task? (laughs) They, They have some lines. Their character goes to sit in the bath. They're talking to another character off screen who I think his name is David. Some kind of love interest. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, don't go to sleep, David. Just gonna have a bath. I'm gonna get so clean for you, David. (laughs) (laughs) Whilst they're distracted talking to David, there's a snake in the bath. There's a snake in my bath. And like, what's amazing is it's actually a wooden prop and like the camera sort of pans up at one point and we see somebody who's clearly just been employed to puppet the snake. (laughs) That's his one job. (laughs) Snake man. And then it just kind of like pops out of the water and they have to just go off. Yeah. Can I say, one of the things I enjoyed most about this scene was the amount of cross-eyed screaming that we saw. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's really up in their grill. I love her like wide-eyed, (laughs) cross-eyed moment. (laughs) All of these contestants were ultimately assessed on their performance in each of these little competitions and then the episode ended with one of them being eliminated. Bish bash bosh. Except it wasn't quite bish bash bosh. Sadly, the criteria for assessing which one of them went home was really disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah, so we had quite a few people that were put on the list, which meant that they had to go into the judges' room for extra deliberation. I would say about half of them received comments simply on their, like, innate beauty. It had nothing to do with, like, the acting skill that they were required to exhibit through all of these little competitions that they had to do. But it did excuse them from some bad acting. Yes, it did. Soul Patch Dude and Mutton Chops Dude were like really open about how their judgment was swayed by the attractiveness of these women. They really weren't shy to admit that they were biased towards the hot ones. They were really just like, it makes up for your bad acting. Yeah, you're really hot. Like, you're really hot. You're a bad actor, but you're really hot. I just thought you should know that you're hot. So you're staying. Of the two who were eliminated at the end, it basically came down to which one was more hot and the least hot one got sent home. Mm. And she was really upset, wasn't she? Poor English Joanne. Yeah, with her weird accent. But do you know, so the other person who kind of got saved made me like kind of see the show in a different way because basically these people are com- competing to be a scream queen, like a leading lady is, is the title of the winner of this series. And they were saying to this other person who, 
they thought was really hot are based on this episode you kind of are more likely to be cast as the stripper that gets killed in like you know the second chapter of the film rather than someone who's a leading lady and it's just like this is a real commentary on film yeah I guess my takeaway was these women are competing in an industry themed competition to actually avoid becoming other feminized stereotypes that could meet their demise in a horror film do you see what I mean yeah that's true yeah I just found that like a weird dynamic but even within that we wouldn't even be talking about this if the trope of stripper who gets killed wasn't a thing so like it's it it is still reinforcing those stereotypes even as it purports to rescue these candidates from it so like how progressive really is that I don't know that's exactly it because it's like there can be one winner there's going to be one leading lady of these 10 contestants only one of them will avoid being cast as like a tropic role yeah sad and how much of that will come down to looks apparently quite a lot but hey that's what just happened so that's what just happened now it's time for our first subsequent segment of the show something we like to call here's what i found interesting i actually didn't know that the prize of this show is to become a leading lady the role that they're gonna fill in saw six is not really identified all we know is that it's gonna be a breakthrough role. So my question is, if they're being assessed on their acting skills, why don't we know what the role is? In this episode, like, I really hope it doesn't continue as basically an assessment of how hot you are and can you act a little bit. I would also say that the show is quite explicit that this isn't like a specific casting, is it? They're also looking for traits like vivaciousness, vulnerability, femininity and boldness. Sure, but but it's so generic. And it doesn't give you any insight into the role they're going to play in the film if they win this competition. I wonder if the show would have been more entertaining if there was a very explicit role that they could kind of like reach for by virtue of there not being a clearly defined prize in that way. That kind of allows the editors or the producers of the show to really focus a lot more on the cattiness of the women contestants, which kind of brings in what they describe as the most terrifying challenge of all, living with each other. Yeah, so it's making me question what the real competition is here, because if the role in the film itself is not going to be so focused on, perhaps Screen Queens is more about assessing which of these women can be most resilient to being a woman in the horror film industry. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, how far can they withstand the cattiness of living with other actresses, the treatment that they're given by the directors? How far can they survive that? Maybe the maybe the real horror film here <laughs> go is the film industry. <laughs> Pre me too. <laughs> That's the real horror film, bitch. <laughs> There's nothing scarier than being a hot woman in the film industry. It just, it really pangs of workplace feminism to me, which like obviously borders a lot on like white feminism where it's like, what do you have to do? What kind of woman do you have to be in order to get a seat at the table? Mm. And by virtue of offering a seat at the table, an economic opportunity, like a chance to shine, the industry has to do absolutely nothing to accommodate you. Yeah. Like no structural changes have to be made. No. 
I think that's what we saw today. Episode one of this season was basically <laughs> about getting naked and being sexy. Just being a woman. Everyone loses. Who wins the Saw franchise? Tragedy. So yeah, that's what I found interesting. Wow. I mean, I guess I have something kind of related. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think it's interesting the role that the boring men in black played. Because when I'm thinking about film, I often think about the male gaze. Mm. You know, it's the word on every feminist lips. I just found it interesting that the way that the show worked was these women just literally had to take instruction from men. When they were eating the fruit for Soul Patch Guy, <laughs> it was his idea, his poorly defined idea of being sexy, which is what counted. The women were both punished for rising to that challenge and trying to portray his idea of sexiness. By not being able to read his mind and actually doing more work for him. I keep coming back to the way that he said that he will be angry if he feels like he's not being repaid or if the labour that's being done by both parties is not equal Mm. and it's like what definition of equal labour do you actually have in this moment because what you're asking these women to do is impossible I mean it's just like who has the power in this competition it's either the people behind the camera like for example Mutton Chop's director yeah he was behind the camera literally calling the shot so these women just have to follow and by virtue of being in front of the camera their every move is like criticised and judged which is obviously nothing that different to the everyday life of women in society today (laughs) but like being like oh your hands are too crazy like this or you know you're thrashing around too much you're not giving me enough of this enough of that you're not being sexy you're not being terrified I don't believe your portrayal of this role is this absolutely debilitating and exhausting use of the male gaze I guess I didn't really realise until this show made me think about it that the male gaze isn't just a product of film like in what you see on the screen and like the way that women are looked at in film and TV. It's actually also very clearly a part of the process of making film as well. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. And and the women's responses to being seen in that way because it gives you so much more work to do as an actor if you not only have to be very conscious of everything that you're doing but you're almost made to like times that by two because you have to accommodate somebody else's viewpoint of yourself and sort of square the two in order to meet this vaguely defined definition of good acting. Again, it comes down to resilience, doesn't it? The candidate who ended up going home was basically just an anxious mess by the end of it. Yeah. And that that was kind of why she was sent home because she could not withstand the weight of the male gaze. Yeah, she really went home because she was nervous. Because she had a bit of anxiety. I was just like, I feel you, hun. Like... (laughs) I really hope that some of them do enjoy this process, though. One of the questions I was asking myself was like, how big a fan is each of these contestants of horror movies? Are they chasing a personal dream to be in film? Or are they passionate about horror films? And also, horror is talked about constantly through this. There's so many different subgenres within the horror genre as well. And I just wonder if they've seen horror before, if there's certain bits of horror that they like or they don't, like what kind of horror they're into, or if they know that they basically fulfil the brief by being hot women who can scream. Like, that's not the role of women in in horror. There's women so who many... scream, a feature film. <laughs> that's hot. It's not Paris Hilton anymore. Martin Chops guy was really like, that's hot. That's he, re- not hot. he really that's did hot. say that's hot. That was basically the amount of feedback they got. <laughs> that's hot. That's not hot. <laughs> Loves it. Hate it. <laughs> Paris Hilton would have been a better judge. (laughs) (laughs) Separate the Debbies from the Scream Queen.
now we come to my favourite section of Love to See It, which we have called... Me! Oh, me! Me! Oh, me! Screaming, me, oh my oh, god, screaming, me, crying, crying, <laughs> dead, me, <laughs> literally deceased, me, <laughs> my me, speaking of screaming, I want to bring you back to a moment that we saw today where all of the contestants were in a room and it was the moment with the cloche, oh right, the yeah. cloche, the cloche, and they, they lift it up and all these real life snakes start to appear out of it, pouring out from this desk that they've just, discovered, I saw myself in the fleeing and the screaming, <laughs> Some listeners may be aware that... Um, you fucking hate creepy crawlies. Yeah, I really, I, I really, really dislike insects, specifically insects with lots of legs. And Joe can attest to this, can't you, Joe? Because oh, yeah. Joe's actually had to rescue me from creepy crawlies <laughs> in the past. It makes me feel so heroic when I do it. I don't even like them that much, you know? Yeah, but you can actually get rid of them. <laughs> I recently barricaded myself against a spider that was outside my room by filling the crack underneath my door with socks and then using another sort of barrier of a towel to really like insulate myself against the spider that wasn't moving and I felt really brave. <laughs> what happened when you had to leave the room though? Was the next, it scary? The next morning it was gone. Spooky. Spooky. The disappearing spider. I know. I remember one time uh, there was a mouse in the house and um, <laughs> you, you were not on board. No, no, but, but actually in that moment you were the one that fled and screamed out of the bathroom at me you were like (laughs) i really was scurry scurry yeah i actually don't mind snakes very much although i haven't really had to ever encounter them but Mm -hmm. when it comes to spiders honestly the screaming today me (laughs) (laughs) do you remember when everyone was calling taylor swift a snake yeah but what for they would like comment the snake emoji like yeah what was it that she did was it the bad blood era i feel like it precipitated bad blood as a single so i'm thinking of the kanye thing but he was definitely the villain there wasn't he i just i love the imagery i think like you actually described the show as a meme gold mine oh my god and i just feel like it it could be so easily memeable like the cloche being lifted up and then the snakes like being tagged as like toxic people in my life and then people just be like (laughs) (laughs) running out the room fleeing from those slithery slithery snakes I really hope that people do seize on the meme potential of this show very soon because it is a gold mine. Like there was a moment where there's a contestant called Joanne and we see her wearing, what were those hats called? Is it like a Baker Boy cap or something? But it was like made of like suede, not suede, like felt or something. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. And then she's wearing just a shit tank top and she's dancing to some kind of hip hop thing in the whitest way possible. And the voiceover is just her going, I'm very unique. (laughs) and just (laughs) the meme potential it could so easily be memed and again the cross-eyed screaming me (laughs) I've done that many times in life (laughs) me at coronavirus (laughs) Um, me at the male gaze What was your me? I've had a lot of rapid fire me's lately. Mm-hmm. And th- there's just like little snippets where I'm just like, oh my god, me. 
delightful. Is that how the instinctive reaction sort of feels in your brain? Oh my god, me. Oh my god, me. I was watching the show and I was just a bit like, there's nothing. I'm not getting anything from this show. Yeah, no yeah. Then I was like, oh my god, me. So basically, like, leading <clears> up until the list being released, one contestant was, like, really freaking out and being like, oh my god, I don't know if I've done enough. Like, I just feel they don't understand me. Like, blah, 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 blah. And so there were these people, like, comforting her in the bedroom while she was, like, straightening her hair or something like that. And then just in the background for about half a second, I caught a glimpse and I was like, oh my god, me. Because... I know what you're going to say! <laughs> someone was just inexplicably hula hooping in the bedroom. <laughs> just vibing. Just being different. Being different. See, she was being very unique. She was being so unique. Much more unique than fucking Joanne. Someone fucking crying in the corner and she's just there like, woo. But again, the meme potential of this. Do you want to talk about your hula hooping? I'm the proud owner of two hula hoops. Two? Uh, yeah. More than the average hula hooper, maybe. <laughs> well, it depends who you ask, I guess. Yeah, true. Because it means that you can do stuff on like each arm. If you were a better hula hooper than I, you could probably get the two going around the waist and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I learned to pick. I picked up hula hooping because I was working in cabaret theatre in Chamonix. In Chamonix. Yeah, it was super for me. And yeah, there was just a hula hoop artist, and I was like, "Can you teach me?" And they were like, "Yeah." So I just picked up a few hula hooping tricks. Got my own hula hoops. Went to Brighton, thought I'd continue. Mm. Admittedly, my talent has waxed and waned over the years. Not that I ever had that much to begin with, but I do like to bring it to the occasional social event in the park, just so that other people can be like, oh my god, what do you do? Oh my god, can you do that here? Uh, yeah. And you're like, young and different. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite thing that you do is when you've got the hula hoop rolling around on one hand with your arms like out either side, yeah. and then you just like roll the hula hoop from one hand to the other. Oh, thank you. It's really cool. Oh blessed yeah me it's very impressive oh my god love me I cannot hula hoop I taught you a trick so yeah but I couldn't do it could I oh but you made some really good progress Joe's a really nice teacher <laughs> yeah <laughs> me 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 the hula hoop moment was a moment of gold absolute <laughs> gold <laughs> Meg yes Joe. is it queer though I don't think it is however mm. When I was thinking about spooky things and queerness, I remembered a very specific bit of queer theory that I'm assuming you're going to be familiar with. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the abject... Right, so abjection. When I was first reading about this with queer theory, I didn't really know what abject meant. Things that are abjected are things that are cut off in order to preserve a pure idea of the self. And when we come into contact with abject things, they are things that blur the line between self and other. Ah, interesting. So, like, an example of this is if you look at a dead body, it's kind of related to the self, but it's also very much not the self because it's a dead body. That's the encounter with the abject. Okay, I don't see any of that here. When I'm thinking about whether this show does any queer work, I guess I'm really thinking about whether it's doing horror in a good way. I would hazard a guess that the more queerness that is present, the better horror it is. I mean, living in a society that is so homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic, Mm -hmm. like, oppressive along almost every axis of identity. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of scary, scary shit to encounter in day-to-day life, especially if you're a marginalised queer person. Believe it or not, living with the threat of violence is scary. Yeah, yeah, it makes you go, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Things that make you go, ooh. (laughs) 
what's that? It's a song. I don't know. I know what it is, but I can't remember. Anyway. Well, I was thinking a similar thing when it came to queer stuff. Like, queer and, like, queer bodies specifically have, in literature, in art, I guess, in our cultural consciousness, are always held in proximity to scariness in many ways. For example, great transgender theorist Susan Stryker has, like, a textbook work around reading Frankenstein through a trans lens and the way that trans bodies are always considered to be monstrous, anti-nature, and then also to bring in the ideas of like surgical transition that echo kind of like Frankenstein's monstrous life and the way that Frankenstein can never really measure up to be a full human. Those kind of themes of monstrosity, deviance and like horror kind of always circulate around transgender bodies. And then I'm also thinking on the other hand of like threat and danger that has always circulated around queer desiring bodies, especially gay men in any kind of like public service role. I'm thinking specifically like section 28 Mm -hmm. and the presence of knowledge about being gay or being queer in the education system. The closeness with which people associate or have associated perversion and predatory nature and also paedophilia specifically with gay men. And so when we're thinking about queer vis-a-vis horror, there's literally so... It's replete with horrible ideas that lead queer people to live more horrible lives Mm -hmm. by virtue of persecution and oppression. Yeah. So, like, where was it? It wasn't here, and it wasn't here because of the male gaze. My take on whether this is queer or not comes down to the effect of the male gaze and the effect of a very normative, gendered role given to these candidates to fill. I think that that would have a direct impact on the quality of the horror that would be produced out of this TV show. It's not allowing itself to engage in any kind of encounter with things that are abject or abjected subjects mm. at all. It's not because, because the male gaze is preventing it from doing that but absolutely and I think that's a commentary (laughs) on like maybe film more generally but I guess yeah here specifically horror is like the way that if we were to make structural changes to the genre of the horror film in order to like reflect queerness maybe more respectfully or even playfully it perhaps would cease to be horror it would be queer horror in the same way that like so many of our genres in popular culture are so fixed by like male power that to do anything differently is somehow revisionist is somehow an intervention yeah And it's just, like, there's a real fixity there that's so hard to break. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is why queerness is always a threat, because it always threatens to break these things that we take for granted. Yeah, yeah. To kind of reclaim as acceptable and not quite so horrifying as structures of normativity would have us believe. Mm. But, like, the power of queer is that it can be so, like, monstrous to (laughs) people who maybe seek to oppress us or, like, don't wish to respect us. I think a lot of queer politics and livelihood... has benefited or like worked towards liberation through the lens of remaining horrible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like the gay rights movement has achieved so much, but we've seen in like recent decades that it actually isn't very horrible at all. And the concept of homonormativity of like gay people attempting to live life as respectable citizens in exchange for rights from the state, is actually a very boring and not very queer way to be queer. Yeah. But I was going to ask you if you're aware of any horror films that do deal in queerness or like have queer representation or are about gay subjects. Yes, I do, mate. Do you? I don't know if you've heard of a film called The Babadook. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no. How did I not know what you're talking about? Have you seen The Babadook? Nope. I just know that Should he's we... an Australian gay icon. Should we 
explain it for people who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to go for it? So basically, a few years ago, Netflix made an error and they put this film called The Babadook, which is a horror film. They accidentally listed it under the category LGBTQ films. Obviously, the gays realised this and seized upon it and claimed (laughs) The Babadook as a gay icon. Yeah, fully. And so he now features on, like, flags and... and like signs at pride parades and we we love him there is a love that is given to this <laughs> yeah. to this like his character who was designed to be a very threatening leading villain in a horror film and we've now sort of reclaimed him and, and sort of hold him very close mm. the love that's given to the Babadook purely because he is the villain he is a gay icon because mm. he is a scary figure in a horror film <laughs> yeah. you know that's really all, all we need we can relate to him I mean not necessarily horror but like terrible characters in films both children and adults mm-hmm. are often coded as queer aren't they absolutely yeah I mean the, so one of the first people I think of is um, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Oh, see, I was going with Jafar. Oh, definitely. The naughty, but naughty daddy twink. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's very different kinds of queer energy, isn't mm. it? That are codified as villainous in, in like children's cinema and in basically all cinema. But there's a certain joy, isn't there, to be able to kind of re-recognise these characters in queer adulthood and to mm. bring this sort of reclaiming sort of perspective onto them, isn't it? Yeah. We're gaining from that, aren't we? That kind of illustrates the point that like queer sensibility can actually gain power from these horrible images these these horrible portrayals rather than like denying them in the spirit of respectability to claim them in the name of queerness is like way more it feels like a win doesn't it yeah it's like a gotcha gotcha moment like we 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 might not have loads of rights but we do have ursula and jafar like (laughs) (laughs) i also think that like what those characters and like you know like scar from the lion king as well what they do they don't just index sexuality like there's a gender trouble with all of those characters where yeah. like for characters that are maybe like portrayed as male there's an effeminacy to them and like Ursula is the butch queen yeah yeah maybe we should come back to the show itself because there's nothing there like, yeah there's... our excitement just plummets away once we return to the squeam the squeam queen the squeam queen the squeamy queenie <laughs> There's nothing queer to really seize onto. One of the queerest things that we saw was these little moments flashing forward to what we're going to see as the show progresses. And there's a moment where we see some women kissing. Even that as the most like on the nose queer thing is so obviously like you can tell when you see it that they're being asked to do that as one of the shit men in black is watching them. That's the male gaze. Like it's not even queer. Yeah. And it's like, even if they were queer, the end product, the image that is produced would still be like very hetero in its kind of frame. Mm-hmm. Maybe moving away from queerness, but still talking about the show is like there was some quite valuable conversation about like how in the industry, especially around kind of getting naked in front of the camera, that some of the contestants were like, "You've just got to do what you've got to do in this industry." Like there's this kind of acceptance of the fact that they were at the beck and call of the boring men in black, mm-hmm. and there was kind of like a tension there across the contestants where they were kind of willing to be subjected if it meant that they had a chance of breaking through. Yeah, but isn't it interesting? that the the language of you have to do what you have to do I'm thinking of the moment where Jessica decides she is going to get naked in front of the camera and what she says is well I just felt like I was going to do what I wanted to do in the moment her other contestants kind of meet her with this sort of scepticism in their responses like they're not quite sure why she's done it or they're they're, they're not convinced by it but she has done what she wants to do she did something that was maybe unexpected but it also came from a position of her making a judgement about what she wanted to do with her body which is 
is a polar opposite to the way that the other contestants do it, which is they're just doing it in response to what the men have told them to do. The suspicion is levelled as a response to Jessica exercising bodily autonomy and not sort of acquiescing to the mm. will of the directors as the rest of the contestants are doing. It is weird because like when we were watching the show, I was assuming that we would be talking about like sex and sexiness in horror and like how the show kind of taught us about it. But really the conversation we've been having, it's actually very difficult to talk about it because it's, it's extremely reductive. There's no depth to the sex that the male gaze requires of them. It's something that we're actually really familiar with, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like be sexy on screen, but then be scared on screen. That wasn't any real sex. It was just like weird two-dimensional portrayals of sexiness. Do you think the show was more spooky or more sexy? More spooky or more sexy? Yeah. I didn't really find it either spooky or sexy. Sad. I actually found it funny. The male gaze is the scariest thing about it. If that ain't the truth. So we've made it everyone. We're now going to rate the show on uh, how well we think it's performed against our four key factors, which as always will be repeated right now. <gasps> wow. So we've got our whack rating. How bizarre is the concept from one to 10? We've got our feels rating. How warm and fuzzy do we feel as opposed to confused and angry? We then have an ethics rating. One being terror for the contestants welfare to 10 being no concerns whatsoever. Then we have a queer rating from one being damagingly regressive to 10 surprisingly progressive. Ooh. Sound good? Sounds good to me. How whack was the concept? Um, not very whack. Do you think? Well, okay, so the film that they're being assessed to go into, that's not whack at all. It's a film that's part of a franchise. It's actually the sixth it's film. It's the sixth film <laughs> in the Saw franchise. And I have a feeling that this show in itself might be designed to just raise the profile of the sixth film in this franchise. In a failing franchise, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there may have been flagging, mm. you know. It's really to prop up this flagging franchise. <laughs> I mean, even if I didn't know it was Saw, I wouldn't be too confused about the kind of horror that we're being acclimatised to when we see this. That's know? true. I mean, I guess I was just thinking like, I think that horror films are not exactly portrayed as the top quality, like the creme de la creme of filmmaking. No. So I kind of enjoyed the way that this whole thing circled around a less appreciated art form, if you like. Okay. How does that translate into a whack rating for you? Um, I would be inclined to give it like at least a six. I don't think I want to go that high. So if you don't want to go as high as a six, should we just like do a five? I think it feels like a five to me. In the manner of the shit men in black, I'm not going to explain my reasoning to you. I'm just going to require that you meet me where I'm at. <laughs> Sorry, I need to give you my all. Yeah, yeah. All right. So it's a five. It's a five, I guess. <laughs> Sir. Oh my God. Don't call me that. <laughs> and then we are going to move on to our feels rating. Obviously, it's a spooky show. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. It made I me did. laugh so much. Yeah, and I have a lot of feels, especially towards Tanidra. She was I'm so lovely. so rooting for her. She's come from a background where she's had no formal training. I think she's humble. I think she's insanely talented. Is obviously the most talented person in the room. And I just really want her to get this role. Even if it's a shit role, it just makes me want the best for her. Mm. I'm really struggling to like quantify. The thing is, I'm not angry. I'm a bit frustrated. I'm not confused. I guess it's the difference between how did it make us feel versus how queer is it? Yeah. Because, like, watching it, I felt cool. Reflecting on it, I feel frustrated. I guess it's nice to see the potential for somebody to realise their dreams, even within this very constrictive, male gazy framework. So but, I guess it's nice to see that being used to maybe boost somebody up. But then there are also a lot of people being stamped down. There were just a lot of moments where people were being told that they weren't hot or that they weren't as hot as the average woman in the group. Yeah. And, and like, that being treated as a legitimate criticism. Yeah, and it just makes me 
me think that I, I really hope viewers at the time would have been as repulsed by that as I felt mm. when I was hearing it. I think it's a five. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was tricky, wasn't it's it? It's hard. It's hard. I hope it has a happy ending. How do you feel about ethics? On the low end, I think. We saw somebody eliminated today basically because she was too anxious mm. to withstand the criticism that was being levelled at her. And I think that this contest is going to have quite a strong emotional toll on contestants. I'm afraid of that. It's funny that a show that's basically all about these people emoting can be like in a very different vein, really emotionally training. Mm -hmm. It just makes me think of the dangers to welfare that are faced by women in the film industry and especially back then. You know, that's, that's what the whole thing reminds me of. It's like a horrible insight into what it looks like to reach for your breakthrough mm -hmm. role in the film industry. And it's an insight, but it like very much reproduces it as well. Like these directors being so mean to these women yeah. for the sake of it is just because that's what it's like in the industry. Mm -hmm. So it's low. Um, <laughs> three. 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 Oh my God, three. Yeah, it's a three for sure. Queer, I think, has to be low as well, it's doesn't it? It's low. It's low as fuck. I'm tempted <laughs> to give it a one because I think it is damagingly regressive. It's not willing to take any steps towards any progressive radical change for women in the film industry. Well, it's, it's no not. Babadook, that's for sure. No. That was surprisingly easy. It's a one. It's absolutely a one. It because it's... qualifies as damagingly regressive. Mm, you said it. And it even would have done in 2008. It just is. Well then. But I still had a good time. Yeah, I know. Like, now I feel bad about it. I'm like, I, if it wasn't yeah. that queer, how could I have enjoyed it so much? Right, the reason why it's enjoyable is because it looks ridiculous. We were laughing at... It was our... almost campy, wasn't it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. Still a one. Still a one. There we go. Very nice. Okay, so uh, here's your motivation. Okay. You're scared, you're, you're tied up, and you're kind of like pleading with somebody. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... I got it, okay. okay. Oh my God, thank you so much for listening to Love to See more, It. More, more, give me more. Oh, so much, just about love that we love. Just see. How <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. Okay, now bring it down, I want more sexy. We hope you loved it. And if you did, be sure to subscribe. Keep being sexy, but your mouth is full of grapes. My heart is laughing. I've had enough of this. And if you did, be sure to subscribe. <laughs> Leave us a review and share this chaos with your loved ones. <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram at love to see it underscore podcast or on Twitter at love to see it underscore pod. If you don't fancy sliding into our DMs and though, spooking us. <laughs> Ooh, you can always send us an email at showandmeglovetoseeit at gmail.com If you enjoy communicating via the medium of voice message like little Joey over here Love it You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash love to see it slash message However, don't call us because we'll get scared <laughs> Oh my god, yeah It'll be like when the phone's ringing in the room and then the, the woman who's home alone has to like go to the phone and it's like <gasps> Hello <laughs> And it's just our listeners being like, ah, yeah. <laughs> our theme music is by the inimitable Billy Hog Maskell, who, as always, you can find on Facebook and Instagram at Fluffy Crumpet Baby. Hey, Billy. Meg, it's been an absolute scream. Oh, my God. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. Bye.